Well, welcome back. As we uh, head into Hour 3 at the end of this week, we are delighted to be rejoined uh, with Rabbi Pinchas Alush. Uh, we are uh, having him join us uh, every Friday. Every Friday he's in town. We have had a couple inaugural visits uh, with the rabbi. Delighted to have you in studio. Welcome back, sir. Delighted to be back. Thank you, Seth. Where, where, where'd you go? Anywhere fun? We missed you last I week. I was in Israel. I was in Israel for just a day, but for good reasons. Tell tell us the good reasons. The good reason is that I have a son who's serving in the IDF, in the Israeli Defense Forces, as a lone soldier, and he graduated from his paratrooper training. And uh, there was a whole ceremony after a gruesome march that him and his fellow soldiers did uh, over over the night for 50 kilometers. And then he received this beret, his red beret, during that ceremony. It was a moment to be remembered and a moment to be uh, celebrating. When we visited with you last time, Rabbi, we were talking about different words for happiness. Uh, Simcha is the one a lot of us know, and uh, you taught another word less known, perhaps, osher. osher. That's correct. Uh, When a parent or a family member or a friend sees a child or a family member or a friend accomplish something great, another word a lot of people know is, is simcha. Is that more of a Yiddish or a more modern thing? Um, right. There is the word nachas. Nachas. That's nachas. right. Nachas. It's a Hebrew word, okay. but with a Yiddish pronunciation. Yes. Nachas. Otherwise, others would call it nachat. Okay. But it's interesting because that word is a little bit different than osher and simcha, than the word that, that speaks of happiness. Nachat really speaks of satisfaction. Okay. And this deep feeling of satisfaction that comes from an achievement that was worked for uh, quite uh, extensively, to use Winston Churchill's words, with blood, sweat, and tears. Yes, sir. So once one has achieved that with blood, sweat, and tears, and once one one sees the, the fruits of his labor, then we can call that nachas. It requires an effort. That's right. We talked at length about uh, about the kind of joy or the kind of happiness one achieves through earning something rather than it just being bestowed upon them, and that seems nachas seems to go to that same concept. That's correct. Yes, it requires it's an effort, a volition. Absolutely, an effort that is geared towards action, uh-huh. not just feelings, okay. as we spoke about in the past. It's almost, if I may quote Arnold Palmer. Yeah, he was once asked, "How come you're so good at golf?" Yeah. And he said, I'm not good. I'm just lucky. And then he thought for a moment and he said, but it's funny because the harder I work, the luckier I get. (laughs) (laughs) Rabbi Pinchas Alush is our guest. Give him the appropriate introduction. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah here in Scottsdale. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts. And he spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. And he gives... um, uh, a weekly lesson on those podcasts. They only last about five minutes, and uh, it's a week's worth of learning, if not more, in those five minutes. So we invite uh, anyone to check those podcasts out, and uh, he invites anyone in the community, regardless of uh, level of religious observance or regardless of religion, uh, or even no religion, to attend uh, congregation or visit Congregation Beth Tefila. You do uh, your biggest services on Saturday mornings. Is That's that right? Correct. Yes, and you, indeed, everyone is welcome. Anytime from 9.30 a.m. when the service begins to about 12.30 p.m. 
Good way to start a day. Good way to frame your week listening to his podcast as well. Two, we'll catch up with him on because uh, he was gone for a week uh, in Israel, as he mentioned. Uh, working backwards, um, the one that you put out, I think, before we had a chance to visit upon, The Life Path to Choose. I took It's only five minutes, and I took extensive notes on it. That's how much I was in these things. What are you getting at with The Life Path to Choose, Rabbi? Reset the table. Uh, right. So as we all know, especially in our age of distraction, as a journalist called it once, we are bombarded with all sorts of advertisements and distractions. One tells us this is the life path you should choose. The other one says this is the life path you should choose. The life path to choose is a life path that has to be synonymous with our purpose. The way to define our purpose is a big question, but it starts with really two pointers. One is knowing our skills and our talents and doing our very best to actualize each and every one of them. Secondly, it is being open to God's signs in life. Everyone has different opportunities that they're presented with, whether it's an opportunity to just smile at someone, or whether it's an opportunity to jump on an endeavor and achieve something for the greater good. The combination of those two pointers will lead us to a path of life that is synonymous with our deeper self and therefore a path of life that is worthwhile to choose. The issue of a path, the issue of travel, the issue of wandering seems to be big in uh, the lessons you convey, the lessons uh, that uh, are inherent in a lot and a lot of what uh, Judaism teaches. So in this class, in this uh, in this podcast, you did two stories, one about a tabernacle and one about uh, a European uh, – a moment in European lore from what I'm guessing is the 18th century. Mm-hmm. Would you like to set up those two stories for us? Sure. It's, it's actually an interesting comparison between the two stories because one story speaks about the late Lubavitcher Rebbe who was one of the giants of Jewish history, passed away in 1994. But he once advised a student – that although he is about to set on a very long journey with many stops, he should make every stop as if that was the final destination. And we learn that from the Israelites in the desert. Wherever they stopped, they had to erect the tabernacle as if this was the place that they were destined to go to. Now, if you compare this idea with a story that perhaps shares a different message or an opposite message, this is a story of also one of the great rabbis of Jewish history, the Magid of Mezrich, who was once visited by a businessman, businessman who had come to him and was shocked to see this great rabbi living in poverty and in great humility. And he said to the rabbi, wow, how could you be living under, living under uh, such, such circumstances? You have no furniture, you, you have a broken chair and so on. And uh, the rabbi turns to the businessman and says, well, I'm shocked to see such a prestigious businessman as you also traveling just with one small bag. And the businessman replied, but rabbi, I'm just passing through. You should come to my home. There I have furniture. There I have a palace. The rabbi says, well, I'm also just passing through. You should come to my home in heaven. There I have also a palace. So you have two stories that seem to contradict one another. But I think that they are actually complementing one another because this is the path to choose. On the one hand, yes, we should live the moment and make sure that 
every stopover is really a final destination. But on the other hand, we should also ensure to focus on the big picture, on knowing that while we are living the moment, we ought to focus on the divine in the moment, on the blessing in the moment, not lose ourselves in the trivial materialistic pleasures of life. That's how these two stories really come together as one. In passing, uh, in in one of our discussions a few weeks ago, I told you I think about, or I told the audience I think about a friend who 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 gave us some advice about when you have to go into a meeting you may not be looking forward to, or have a meeting with someone you may not necessarily be looking forward to. Not a bad question to ask is what is my holy mission here and to put kind of a divine thought around it because we're not here for no reason and we're always supposed to have a reason in what we are doing even though it may look small to us it is big to god this was another theme of yours and it seems to me that that story that you are telling kind of kind of wraps all of that together be all there be all present in what you're doing but no, the reason you are doing that is for a bigger purpose that may not possibly, I put this as a question to you, may not possibly be even revealed to us at that moment or in our lifetime. Very well said. That, that, that's correct. You know, you remind me of a dear friend and congregant of ours who was an alcoholic for many years and he's been sober now for over 20 years. And he tells me that the best advice he's ever received from his mentor was when he asked his mentor how he should control his his addiction when he goes into a party into a room full of alcohol and his mentor said it's very simple before you go into that room open the door wait for a few seconds and let god come in first oh nice Nice. and then you go in once you know that god is there watching you and blessing you and directing you then you'll have a much easier time controlling your addiction i think that's really the idea that before we go into every room into every moment Let God come in first. Let it be divinely focused. And then every moment will indeed be lived to its fullest. I love it because it also allows the person to take some deep breaths as well, which is very important to breathe. Um, uh, Thank you, Rabbi Alush. That's wonderful. Let me come back on some of this uh, on the other side of this break. I'm Seth Liebson. He is Rabbi Pinchas Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Check out his Apple podcast. Like it. Give it a good rating. Help spread the word. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is our guest. Rabbi Alush's uh, podcast, uh, weekly podcast, uh, can be uh, reached at Apple. Can uh, be heard at Apple Podcasts, and he spells his last name A L L O U C H E. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefila here in Scottsdale and uh, up on Shea. That's yes. right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, let me go back to this series of lessons you're giving us, Rabbi, on the notion of traveling. What is it about Judaism that uses the concept of travel so much to impart so many lessons? You did one with a Hasidic tale from the probably the 18th century. You did one biblical uh, that uh, would come from biblical times with the concept of the tabernacle. I know a story um, – I don't want to take too much time talking about another Hasidic rabbi, uh, 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 Levi of Berdachev, um, where he was traveling into a town, and he was an unknown 
uh, person at the time, and he stopped at the wealthy man's house to have lodging, and the wealthy man sent him away. Years later, as uh, Rabbi Levi, Levi Yitzhak Abertachev was very famous, the wealthy man heard he was coming to town. You know the story. Right. And um, and the wealthy man said, oh, well, I would love the honor of this very wealthy, excuse me, very uh, well-recognized uh, scholar to stay with me. And what uh, the rabbi did was he sent uh, his horses and he sent his belongings to the wealthy man's house. And the wealthy man said, "Why, why to his servant, why did he, why did he send all this, all, all, all his belongings, and not come himself?" And the message was, "When I didn't have these possessions, you didn't want me. Now that I have these possessions, it seems that's what you want." There's a lot in travel and this concept of the wandering Jew. There's a lot in travel that we learn from in Judaism. What do you think that's about? Is it because we have, as a Jewish people, always been on the move? Do you think it's because we had? Uh, an ex, uh, uh, you know, a desert experience, if you will, from slavery to redemption. Travel is just a big part of the Jewish story, unlike in other religions. It is. You're right, and that's a great observation. I believe there are many reasons to it. One of them is, as you mentioned, we've been traveling for 2,000 years, ever since we've been exiled uh, after the second, after the after the destruction of the Second Temple, some 2,000 years ago. We've been, you know, the nomad Jews. Um, but I think there's a deeper reason. And that is because Judaism really speaks of the soul. Mm-hmm. And the soul really is traveling. Okay. The soul is on a mission in this world. It traveled from the upper worlds to this world to fulfill a very specific mission. And I would quote again my beloved Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz of blessed memory who would often remind us that we may be living in this world but we are not of this world. We are from a different planet, from a different sphere altogether. And that soul that is traveling needs to have focus and direction as it is traveling in this world. Therefore, this emphasis on travel may be on the travel of the soul. And, and, and what's interesting to me about that is it can apply to everyone. It can apply to everyone that we all have a soul. Every human being has a soul. Every every human being, regardless of their level of religious affiliation or anything like that, that there can be a message about the importance of it. I think, now that you use the word soul, it's coming back to me a little bit, that story I related uh, as best I could from memory came from a book called Souls on Fire by Elie Wiesel. I mm, think that's yes. where I got that book, which was a tale of the Hasidic uh, – of those uh, of those Hasidic uh, uh, stories of yore. Um, talk to people a little bit about what to you the soul means. People will hear that word and think different things. The Greeks had one concept of it in philosophy. What is it from – what does the soul mean to you? So that's a great question because we can spend yeah, <laughs> hours sure. on this topic. But to try and condense the idea of the soul into really one thought, and that is that the soul is the best version of ourselves. Okay. It is our higher self. It is our divine self. It is the way we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, wow, there's that goodness, that inherent godliness within us. That is the soul. Um, And to live a soulful life means to live a life in which the best version of myself is always in play. How important are eyes in talking about the soul? 
because one of the things I kept thinking about while you were talking in the previous segment is the one thing a lot of things are said about you in this community all good but the one thing that everyone unanimously says about you is that when they're talking to you you have locked into them there is no distraction and you have uh, intense eye contact which seems to be part of what you're communicating in in, in 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 the podcast that we were discussing, um, that you know, be centered, um, be focused, know that you are in the moment for a reason, and I don't know where the idea comes from. I probably should have looked it up, but it has been said: eyes are a window to the soul. So, how important are eyes in connection to the soul and the message that you try to communicate in the community? So, if that makes any sense, first of all, I'm humbled by your words. And I wish uh, I'm going to tell my mother to listen to this. Yes, episode. right. Yes. <laughs> well, he wasn't a doctor, but he has good eyesight, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but secondly, look, the eyes are the windows to the soul. I think eyes speak volumes much more than the mouth does. Yep. There's a great Hasidic line that says that our mouths are meant to keep silent. Um, our mouths were created to to teach us how to keep silent. Okay. Our eyes were created to teach us how to speak okay. because the eyes do speak a lot. And uh, to go further into this, we have two eyes. It's interesting. God created us with one mouth, one nose, yet two eyes. And uh, the Jewish commentaries explain that one eye is really there in order to look at others positively. The other eye is there to look at ourselves Maybe in, a, maybe in a more judgmental way. What can I fix today that needs to be fixed? Those two themes carried by the eyes really draw the picture of the self, how we look at others and how we look at ourselves. And a person with a divine eyesight can really see the entire self through those eyes because there they will see how they look at others and how they look at themselves. And there you have the human being in full fashion. And why maybe some people kind of avert their eyes sometimes. I mean, the, the, there may be a reason for that, too. I, lo- I love that saying, though. Yeah, I I, um, I heard a comedian once say, um, you know, you see a comedian standing on stage and they're very gregarious and they're talking, obviously, kind of like a radio host. You can't have dead air. And um, when I'm in groups and as this comedian was asked when he's in groups, why is he so silent? And he said something that I kind of use from time to time, too. I hope it's not insulting, which is I've never learned anything by talking. Mm-hmm. So the mouth and the eyes. Right. Now, I set all that up to get to your other podcast, which is about Purim, because we right. have to talk a lot about the eyes Purim and, and the yes. Purim holiday yeah. that is upcoming. Uh, Rabbi Alush and I will be right back if you want to hear more about seeing and the importance of it or the holiday that is coming up next week known as Purim. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. You can check out his uh, weekly podcast at Apple Podcasts. Rabbi Alush is A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Five minutes of him talking, giving you a week or more's worth of learning. Uh, His most recent podcast is about a holiday, a Jewish holiday that comes next week. Uh, It's called Purim. Tell us about it. Okay, so... um Thank you for bringing it up. It is one of the most special Jewish holidays in the Jewish calendar. But Purim really comes to celebrate 
the um, story that occurred about 2,600 years ago when in Persia reigned a king uh, by the name of Ahasuerus who had an evil advisor by the name of Haman. And Haman decided to formulate perhaps what was the first final solution, as Hitler called it, but the solution to wipe out all Jews from the planet. Haman was considered the Hitler of the day, that's or correct. at least now is considered the Hitler that, of the day. That's oh, right, okay. yes. And uh, he was very successful not just at planning this extermination, this mass genocide, but also at almost ex- executing it. He, in fact, had chosen a day based on a lottery uh, that he uh, he, he, um, he executed. That's why which is what Purim means, right? That's lots, right. right. That's lottery, why the name right. Purim, right. that's correct, which okay. means lots. And that lottery fell on the 13th of Adar in the Jewish calendar. That's when this extermination was to take place. And seemingly all was going well with Haman until miraculously the queen that was chosen for the king was a Jewish woman by the name of Esther. She infiltrated the palace. And just before the execution of this genocide, she was able to have a meal with the king and with this evil advisor, with this Hitler named Haman. She pointed out to the king during this meal that Haman wants to exterminate my nation. The king acted as if he did not know anything about this. Who could this be? Why? Why would Haman do this? And he became so livid and upset that he decided to kill Haman and his family or his children instead of the Jewish people. And um, the story of Purim really is the story of, of, of life when sometimes we feel like despair has overcome us. Sometimes we feel like we've re- reached a, 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 such a low point that there is no way coming out of it. And God behind the scenes is really mastering a plan to redeem you to ensure that you are indeed pulled out of this low point and completely, completely redeemed. Part of what you said in the podcast on this story, thank you for that, is the notion back to the eyes that seeing is not always believing, um, that not everything is as it seems. Uh, We are to embrace life. Uh, for what we were given, I suppose, as a gift, not for what we may see it as in temporal or temporary moments. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, if you think about this, our vision is very, very limited. As as clever as we may be, we uh, often cannot see what God has in store for us, and therefore our vision remains limited. But imagine we could see things the way God sees them, from a pilot's eye view, as they call it. I think life would be very different. That's where also faith comes into play, where sometimes we say to ourselves, okay, I don't see how things can work out, but I also recognize that my vision is very limited. I'm sure God does see how things can work out. And therefore, I'll give it over to the higher power, as they say in the 12-step program, and ensure that my faith is in that God that will ultimately ensure my redemption and salvation. Is there a level of pride and arrogance in thinking that what you see is the reality, is the full, is the full story, um, that 
if you are in a depressive moment or if you are in a sad moment or if you are in a moment of self-harm or, for that matter, anger and wanting to lash out because of the circumstances you see, is that based on the limited vision? Is that based on a moment of pride? Let, let me have you respond to that on the other side of the break. Short Absolutely. segment. We have a longer one coming up. And sure. There's the music. Rabbi Alush and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sometimes I chuckle, sometimes I'm embarrassed, sometimes I'm amazed at what music the random, uh, the random, um, uh, the randomness uh, brings us into with uh, Rabbi Elush. So sometimes it's a little bit biblical, sometimes less so. Uh, sometimes a little less so. Thank you, sir. Um, I was talking to you about one of your lessons from Purim, Rabbi Elush, that you gave in your podcast this week. Seeing is not always believing, and not everything is what it seems to us as humans. And I'm wondering if when we act on that thinking, perhaps from a depressive moment or an angry moment, a moment of self-harm potentially, um, because what we see isn't working out the way we want or worse, that that really may come form of a question that may come as a matter of arrogance or pride as if we know better than the higher power or God, as if we are uh, omniscient and can see more than we were given the ability to see. After all, we weren't supposed to be as God. Hmm. Right. Good point. Um, But I do think that we were supposed to see as God sees. Okay. And I would say that that's the difference between human seeing and divine seeing, both which would, should be incorporated into our every lives. Because human seeing is our personal calculations. If I do this, that will happen. One plus one equals two. And sometimes we say to ourselves, well, if I do this, or if I do this, or if I do this, the same result will come. And you say to yourself, oh, I'm doomed. But we forget that that is only the way the human sees. Mm-hmm. There is also the way the, the divine sees, God himself sees. And that, we have to believe, leads us to different results, even though our calculations may point to some day of doom. I will give the example of the Bible in which the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and they saw, saw no future. They saw no hope. While at the time these Jews were suffering, God appeared, appeared to Moses in a burning bush, asking him to go and redeem the Jewish people, which eventually happened. So while the slaves could not see any further than their suffering, God was seeing some, a much greater picture, was seeing and planning their redemption. Sometimes that's the case in our personal lives. All we can see is what we can see, but we have to have faith that God is seeing a much greater, better and brighter picture, and he's not just seeing it, but also ensuring that it will eventually happen. Rabbi, let me ask you this on that. For people of faith, or people with faith, is it apprehensible? Is there an ability to know what God wants you to do? Or is that a lifetime of struggle and learning and wrestling? Um, When you're in a given situation, is it clear always what godly or the right thing to do is what God would have you do, 
or do you think that uh, – well, I'll, I'll just leave it at, at that point given what you're saying. I mean we don't hear from the messages from God in burning bushes like like, like in, in, in biblical times. How do we know what God – that's it. That's how right. I frame it. How do we know what God wants us to do? That, that's a great question. I have a, <laughs> I, I have a cynical answer. <laughs> one, well, one rabbi once told me if it yeah. feels bad while you're doing it and good later, good. If it feels good <laughs> while you're doing it and bad later, you know it was the wrong that's thing. That's a great <laughs> Or maximum inconvenience for yeah. short. Right. Okay. That's a great answer. Well, first we have the Bible, which I think is a blueprint to what we should and should not be doing. Okay. Um, and that's God speaking to us indirectly through this this holy book. But I think that there are other indications that point to what God wants us to do. One of them is our intuition. Okay. I truly believe how people would call it the gut feeling that we have sometimes is a sign from God. Is God speaking to us? Do this or don't do that. Another way that God speaks to us is simply by um, uh, giving us the opportunities that we have in front of us. And usually these are opportunities that are action-based and other-based, other-oriented. Usually that is really a a sign that God wants us to act, and therefore he's presenting this opportunity in front of us. Otherwise, he would have presented that other-based opportunity to someone else. But you're right. Not always can we hear God. But I think that if we are focused on action, on on others, on, on the greater purpose, and we do at the same time listen both to the blueprint of the Bible and to our intuition, to our deepest self, then we'll have a pretty clear indication of what God wants of us. Taking it back to the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, um, I think it was, yes, our visit uh, two weeks ago when we were talking about the various forms of charity and the various forms of helping people out. Is that usually a pretty good way to train the intuition? Intuition is in and of itself a complicated thing. It's something that has to be trained if it's going to be directed in the right way. Is that a pretty good way to think about it? How will this affect someone else more than how will it affect me? Is that a pretty good way to think about it? That's an excellent way. Okay. An excellent way. Because remember, if our souls are traveling for a specific right. mission in this world, right. they are traveling not to satisfy their bodies. They are sat- traveling to satisfy the world and to better the world. So that is certainly a very good way. The holiday of Purim that we were discussing and that is the topic of your most recent podcast and that will be celebrated next week, one of the things that outside observers or maybe practitioners would notice is this tends to be one of the holidays that is so very much directed towards children. Children have a big part in the Purim uh, celebration. Uh, What is it about would you connect the Purim story that makes it so important to and for and directed at children? Great question. So first there's the element of education. For every holiday we try to focus on the children and especially those important holidays in order to educate our children. But I think that it is because children really hold the key to this idea that even though we may feel that everything is doomed, there is still hope. If you see children playing around, they may fall, they may fight, but the second later they're back on their feet and they're happy again. Maybe because they know that not everything is dependent just on them and their plan. They are here in this world open to the divine, open to the fun and to the happiness out there. 
and they rely on it too. And that's what makes them so happy. And I think that this is what Purim is about. We may have fallen into the pits of despair with this Hitler of the day, with this Haman wanting to exterminate us. But we also knew that God was there behind the scenes planning a redemption and a salvation. To quote one of uh, uh, the great writers, I'm not sure who said it. I know Tim Tebow quotes it quite often. <laughs> but we do not know what our future holds, but we know who holds a future. Nice. And that is all that matters. Nice. Well, Rabbi, thank you for stopping by again this week, more than stopping by. Thank you for your gracing us with your presence this week. That's the better way to put it. You are on travel next week for more nachas. More nachas. More happiness. That's right. So we will see you in a fortnight, as they say in the old land. Rabbi Pinchas Alush of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Please check it out. I'm Seth Leibson, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. You've probably been hearing me talk a lot about Y-Refi for some time now, and if you still have some questions about what it may mean to invest with Y-Refi, they would love for you to give them a call or check them out online so that they can put you in touch with any number of their many satisfied customers and clients in the Phoenix area who have invested with them and done very well. Their number is 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. They'd like me also to ask you how your IRA is doing. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed? You can invest with Y-REFI through an IRA or other qualified funds and keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. 888-Y-REFI-34 or investyrefi.com. Talking to the rabbi... I was thinking about a uh, children's book um, that really is an adult book, but good for children and adults. Uh, Many of you may know or have heard of uh, called The Little Prince. Uh, It was written by, I'll always butcher, I always butcher the name and I'm sorry, but it was written by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. He was a uh, French, Frenchman who uh, died in World War II fighting the Nazis, Uh, little known fact about him actually uh, that uh, this uh, this massively successful uh, children's book author that teaches such uh, important lessons about children and kindness and life and frankly love died in the ultimate act of love fighting evil he was a experienced and trained aviator and um, one uh, one wishes his soul the best. But the reason I was thinking of it or put in mind of that book is one of the more famous lines from that children's story that, quote, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Not everything is what it seems. And when we see things, when we see difficult things, when we see challenging things, I love what the rabbi was imparting to us. And I think that is the message also of the little prince that uh, what is essential is sometimes actually invisible to the eye. It is only with the heart or with the soul that one can see rightly if it's directed in the right direction or, as they say, rightly directed. Why do I always focus so much on children's literature? Why is that my, why is that my, um, my chief attention grabber? Um, a lot of reasons for that. We can get into that one of these days. But... 
to me, there's nothing that brings greater joy than hearing a child laugh, and there's nothing that brings greater pain than uh, hearing a child cry or seeing a child cry. And so that's why I think we are always so directed towards the uplift and upbringing of our children, and it helps us see things with the heart. Folks, thanks for spending part of your week with us, part of your day, part of your afternoon. It means a ton. We don't take any of you or that for granted. So until Monday, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and Bill and David, thank you. Class is dismissed. Cool in our heels.